This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle. Hi, I'm Mark Rico. I'm head of content and programming for Mouth Media Network, which produces this show. After more than 75 episodes and many amazing guests, it was worth a look back at some of the standout conversations over the life of travel is your business and highlight some of them again. This week, we revisit an extraordinary interview with Liliana Petrova, Director of Customer Experience at JetBlue Airways, a visionary, a strategist, a customer experience professional, and blogger, when she offers a high-altitude view on designing customer experience in travel. Hi, my name is Liliana Petrova. I'm the Customer Experience Director of JetBlue Airways. What I love about travel is the freedom that it gives me and the fact that I can really feel like the citizen of the world. There's no boundary to travel. This is Travel Is Your Business, covering the intersection of technology and business in the travel industry. Liliana, can you tell me about designing for experience and what that means to you personally? Wow, that means so much. Um, <laughs> designing for experience is a phased, layered cake. And the first layer of the cake is process efficiencies and thinking about movement of whatever you want to move. If it's customers, it would be people. If it's things, then it would be the things. If it's bags, if I'm designing for transportation of bags, it would be how I, as an engineer, want this movement to happen. Then I layer the technology design on top of that. How am I going to achieve this movement? And how can I make it as fast and seamless as possible? And then the next layer is the brand, how I want it to look how I want the people to feel when they go through this movement. Bags don't have feelings, but I still don't want it to be ugly because I still have employees or how we call them in JetBlue, crew members that will be in this environment. So there is some minimalistic aesthetics that you need to always think about that fits with your brand. And last but not least, the layer of all of this would be the interactions that you are designing on top of this environment that you've built through hardware, technology, or brand and pictures around the environment. So it's actually a long process that is sequential and layered on top of each other and not something that you can just do quickly. How do you feel those those types of types of interactions intertwine. So you're talking about bags and uh, a customer having two very different design um, aesthetics of sorts, of, you know, between the brand or how they approach it or how the process looked. Um, in your experience with, with JetBlue, do you have to think about how that uh, kind of overlap? Um, where does that play into the design? So I think that's where a designer needs to be a little bit of a vision thinker. Mm. Um, you cannot design in increments. Right. So somehow the leader that stands at the top of this design project, whatever it is, um, and I actually have no idea how I'm doing this, so it mm -hmm. just happens. But <laughs> <laughs> a lot of it is intuitive. if you ask right. me, yeah. 
Well, it's also empathy, right? It's like yeah. it's like having that mind to really see it in the future, how it would all be finished. And then you back into it. Yeah. Mm. Um, so if you don't have the end pictures in mind um, and you try to do it incrementally because of this engineering element that, that is in the base of it, um, you might make a big mistake that it will be much costly to go and undo uh, because you didn't think through things. So mm. I would love to um, start with um, an example of a delightful experience. So it, talking of JetBlue and, of course, Bess uh, is, is on her uh, her first full day of being a, a co-host with us. But we heard in an earlier recording that I love JetBlue. Like I, I love JetBlue, right? I, I grew up near it, you know, in, in Queens and now in – well, it's still Queens, but a little bit further from me. And um, I've just been around it for so long. But one thing that stood out is that it's the delight that you get. And you don't know as a passenger necessarily how to pinpoint what that delight is coming from. Um, your LinkedIn shows that you're now working or you released um, like facial recognition for, for boarding. Mm -hmm. um, how, now, how, are, how are you testing that to make sure that this is a delightful experience versus something that causes more friction because the technology is not maybe fully baked over there or maybe it's just weird for people? I mean, I think the first question probably answers this is the design. Did I answer myself? No, okay. not really. Um, <laughs> so I'll give you an example. When when people first approached me with the facial recognition, the actual experience um, was similar to your entry to the New York City subway or prison. <laughs> okay, it's the same, same metal, thing. ugly. Um, yeah. Strikingly similar. Horrible experience. <laughs> mm -hmm. So the first thing I said is that will never happen with JetBlue. Now, to have that strength to say that is the first step is to, again, going back to what you were saying with Delight. I know what the brand stands for. We're witty. We're fun. We're mm -hmm. interactive. You're, you're friend. There's nothing friendly about this, this thing. Yeah. So the first foundational change that we made as as a as a customer to the technology partner was that will not be how this will be experienced. Yeah. So the the delight comes from the elements mm -hmm. and and seeing the the feeling that these elements produce for you. And for us, um the the brand presence of everything we built is what makes the experience delightful. Mm -hmm. Because you already have, if you're a repeat customer, you already have an emotional connection with the brand. So when you see the lobby in the blue and the and the white piece, and then I make the mm -hmm. same experience at the gate, that emotion that that exudes that is coming from the camera mm -hmm. um is not um constrained. It's not limitation, but rather it's fun and interactive thing. So our camera looks very different from what you would see in any other carrier. Mm -hmm. The second thing I think that creates delight is that the thing works. That's, yeah. So, <laughs> um, and when I say works, it works to your standards. Mm -hmm. So there is nothing worse than going to, to customers and saying, experience this, but by the way, we're almost done. And you're gonna wait for five minutes for this camera to capture your photo. Yeah. So the the I'm I'm pretty stern about this quality 
of of the speed or whatever I'm thinking of in terms of when it's ready for prime time. How long have you been developing this? Well, it's kind of funny. Um, I wouldn't even say that I'm developing it. Um, I always say I'm a conductor well, in an orchestra. Right. Yeah. Um, but it's not JetBlue's R&D. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody, we had a, we celebrated customer experience day in JetBlue last year for first time. And I was very happy that um, my, my crew leader allowed me to do a whole um, kind of meeting with different thinkers. And one person on the panel said that innovation is not building new things, but finding connections that didn't exist before uh, between existing things. So mm-hmm. what we did was not R&D. I didn't build anything new. Mm-hmm. I recognized the pieces that existed in different places and connected them. Yeah. Uh, so the actual development wasn't that big. But from inspiration to rollout, what are we talking? Um, four months. Okay. The re- interest in that is quick. That's very yeah, fast. especially for an airline. Wow. <laughs> Yes. Especially for any company that right. big, right? Yes. right. Says, wow. And and a never before seen project. Oh so Lilian is a bit of a legend. <laughs> yeah. no, that is that's <gasps> unbelievable. I have these conversations a lot. That is incredible. That's incredible. Yeah, thank you. Um, the reason why I was actually getting to that is that you know now with iOS 11 or just uh, you know the new iPhone, having facial recognition is something that um, consumers are accustomed to or getting accustomed to yep. so there's a comfort level that's inherently tied in with your rollout and i was wondering how much of this has been anticipated upon that that okay people will be interacting with their devices and things in this manner seeing that there's emotional response detection and sensors in different stores and and mirrors and windows and these things are happening very quickly was there a lot of thought to that and how people would perceive it and internalize it? Or was this something that, man, it was great timing that, you know, like iPhone also. I would say great timing. Yeah. We didn't think this through. Yeah. The the pure customer experience really starts with an operational problem. Mm-hmm. And if if the business case would work. Let's just put it that way. If I had an limited pool of money, then we could have just done fun stuff. Uh, but in a, in a company that where you have to put business cases and justify what you're doing, um, unless you have a real operational problem uh, to solve, uh, it's quite difficult to get the funding. So for us, we were looking at how to innovate the boarding experience, how to make it fast, seamless. Uh, we have heard that customers don't particularly enjoy that part of the journey. Uh, so that's really what triggered it. And then the technology was there on time almost to be a yeah. tool that we use to solve the problem. It's good timing. Yeah. That's really good timing. <laughs> yeah. Tell me about it. Yeah, for real. <laughs> I mean, we had every network you can imagine at the gate filming what we did last year. That's I don't ins- think yeah, I've incredible. ever seen something like this in my entire career. I don't know if I'll ever see it again. We had three or four networks lined up to to air what we're doing live all the morning shows on the roll like the first mm. time you use yeah wow. are there any points of friction operationally that you see as an a, like another opportunity you know that something that that maybe your how JetBlue interacts with the airport could be improved something that really frustrates you about an experience well 
I'm gonna I'm gonna try not to rock the boat too much, but right. I actually <laughs> I'm I'm thinking with uh, autonomous vehicles mm-hmm. and facial recognition. I don't even think the airports will be the player that they are today in the future of the journey. Mm. Um, you could design an experience that doesn't involve airports, um, and. For that reason, I'm not focused that much on the relationship with the airports, but what's my favorite, as best knows, is my bags. Um, because that's a friction that, and I wouldn't even call it friction because we don't lose bags per se, but people wait for bags. Hmm. Um, and I am on the quest of eliminating wait time mm. and giving people back time to do whatever they want to do with it. That's something more fun and personalized and interesting versus just being online for something. So I think that's my next time. When are you going to take over the TSA pre-check line? Because um, <laughs> that became a shit show. So the thing with the TSA is... Everyone's got a pre-check. Like, it's, yeah. it's just the same line. It's the same damn line. <laughs> so... The TSA is um, not JetBlue. So it's when not, I no, it's not. I said, when are you going to take over TSA to fundamentally <laughs> route back to JetBlue? Yeah. Now I hear you. For for, for JetBlue specifically, yeah. when we ask our customers, they do recognize the switch of the ownership, if you will. Of course. So from my perspective, it's more of a lower priority. But, but at the same time, we are partnering with TSA now and working a lot on different things. So... They, they are so thinking. to that point, by the way, my wife went to Tulum yesterday yeah. and uh, you know what the response she got? And this is just timely. I got a text from her after she boarded and sat down this seven in the morning. Well, 7 a.m. flight. So once she sat down in the flight, she texted me. She's like, oh, no, no, sorry. The night before um, she texted me. She goes, you won't believe this. I checked in um, and scanned my um, my my passport into JetBlue's app just now. So I'm checked in. Like for an international flight. Mm-hmm. I'm like, holy crap. <laughs> like, <laughs> that, that is something that makes complete sense yeah. to me. Like that is incredible. That takes away a whole level of friction that I didn't even realize existed. But now that I do, I'm going to be looking at it and scrutinizing other airlines. Mm-hmm. Like, why can't I do that? Yeah. <laughs> and, and I think to that point, you know, Liliana spoke about bags being the next frontier yeah, bags, for yeah, innovation. Yeah, for sure. If no holds barred, not thinking about the constraints, financial, whatever the case may be, what do you see as the future for bags? Um, no constraints. No, no constraints. constraints. Okay. So one thing that um, we we sp- I spoke at a conference um, a few months ago, and one of the things we kind of thought through with my uh, fellow panelists was if you can have an autonomous vehicle um, with a facial recognition built-in. And that facial recognition is integrated with the government the way we're working now. Um, I can pick you up from your apartment or your home, um, and you can actually technically board the plane at your home and not go to an airport. Your bag would be accepted on the car, and then the car would just stop somewhere to drop the bag and you're gonna stop at the tarmac and board the plane so the bags would never go to the airport because the only reason they go to the airport to be checked 
for different things security wise but if the car has if if through biometrics you can be validated as as a, a, a customer that is valid and if the compartment for the bag has all the checks that you do get checked under uh, right now under the belt you technically you're done so i can either pick you up both or i can have a car that just picks bags what do um, we do with the terminals they're so big though so, <laughs> they're just gonna be dinosaur relics is that so the, the terminals retail can, space um, <laughs> retail more retail space. the terminals can become um malls yeah um or the terminals can become <laughs> gone something <laughs> runway I mean, what the, the conference where we spoke was actually the airports conference. Uh -huh. So one thing we talked about was how about you start your journey earlier and you have some sort of a concierge at the um, airport or the airport becomes working space mm -hmm. um, or you you have child children playgrounds. And it's it's more of. For, it becomes space for other things that you could do on your way there, but it's no longer a processing center of you mm -hmm. because right now that's what the airport is. The airport processes us and our bags. And not only that, but we're getting processed every 15 minutes. So it really right now, the experience um, by design, by the engineering of it, has no chance to give you joy. Um, but if we remove these processing needs of, of the airports as a, as a piece of the functionality of what's going on, you can open a whole new world about what airports would be. Liliana, you brought us uh, a snack today. Maybe you could tell us what it is. Sure. Well, every customer on our plane loves our blue chips. They do. So I thought maybe, you know, share the love with you a little bit. <laughs> Uh, just for the record, we did try to um, to take them off the plane at one point. <laughs> <laughs> but there was uproar. It did not work out. Really? So they're staying for good now. All right. Perfect. So we got some terra blue chips. We'll yeah. jump into them. Coming up, you'll hear from Liliana. Well, more Black Mirror. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> uh, and how she draws inspiration from other brands and industries. Hi, it's Mark Rico. I want you to listen to this. Hiring is challenging, but there's one place you can go where hiring is simple, fast, and smart. It's a place where growing businesses connect to qualified candidates. And that place is ZipRecruiter.com slash Mouth Media Network. Hiring used to be hard. Multiple job sites, stacks of resumes, a confusing review process, but today... Hiring can be easy, and you only have to go to one place to get it done. ZipRecruiter.com slash Mouth Media Network. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, but they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invite them to apply to your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so you never miss a great match. ZipRecruiter is so effective that 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. 
Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Mouth Media Network. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Keep up with the show on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Travel Biz Show. That's Travel B-I-Z Show. Our episodes are available on iTunes and Google Play and online at TravelIsYourBusiness.com. Plus, there are a lot more great shows on Mouth Media Network. Take a trip to MouthMediaNetwork.com to enjoy them all. And remember, we love fan mail. Drop us a note to say hi, suggest a guest, or if you'd like to become a sponsor on the show, email us at TravelBizShow at MouthMediaNetwork.com. So Liliana, that was a really interesting insight on some of, the, some of your approach to um, CEX at JetBlue. But tell me, like... What other brands do you think are doing it right that you look to? Um, and then what other industries do you think could take some of the learnings and ideas that we've seen in aviation and maybe replicate um, those concepts within those brands? The Milan train system can use some learnings. <laughs> can you use some learnings? Were you recently I, in Milan? Yes. Mm. Just came back yesterday. Okay. And... What I experienced was just horror there. <laughs> so you get off of the plane and there is a train system that would get you to the city that has two kiosks and they don't accept uh, credit cards from the United States of America. <laughs> and you have a woman screaming saying, just get online. There are few people inside, so it won't be too long before you get to your ticket. Um, the the train I needed to take was in 15 minutes and that line could not have possibly done this whole thing in 15 <laughs> minutes. Mm -hmm. So I kept thinking the million ways you could have solved this um, until I found a little, little, but very tiny sign at the top mm -hmm. of that kiosk mm -hmm. that says, get a ticket online <laughs> but like the smallest phone yeah. i was like phone 12 yeah. in a big kiosk so i quickly got online yeah. and bought a ticket and caught my train are you trapped in like consumer experience like mm. jail in your head <laughs> <laughs> a little bit you are right like but every every see, you're drawn but the thing something. is i don't think of it as a jail um, no no yeah. i it's think of it as like a mindset yeah mm -hmm. um and it's so much fun do you look at it as efficiency or do you look at it as um enjoyment enjoyment so see that enjoyment i i you kind of used earlier a word um what did you say um Wow, experience. You delightful. Know, delightful. Mm -hmm. See, these words, enjoyment and delightful, I have a little bit of a problem with them because they are very um, emotional. So that means every customer would have their own version of it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, where efficiency is almost like an engineering word mm -hmm. and something efficient could be delightful and could be useful and could be, uh, you know well, what I mean? Like, all to be of this thing. Yes. Mm -hmm. So... I would say, for me, just things that make sense. In a sense, you have the technology and the tools today. Uh, why not use them? Uh, what you make with those tools is value. You're creating value for the customer. You're creating value for the world. And I'm driven by making the world a better place for us. 
and having that mark. Does that bring delight always? Probably not. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it may just make things easier. Sometimes it may make you get to your hospital on time where your father is. Or you know what I mean? Like sometimes mm -hmm. specifically in travel, mm -hmm. things can be so personal. And something like getting a ticket and catching the right train can make such a difference in somebody's life that I kind of see things in a little bit more of a life type of way. And I think that's what really drives me to be so passionate about what I do um, is that I, I just hope that we make life easier. So you mentioned you just spoke at the airport conference. Yeah. And uh, earlier when we were, before we started recording, you mentioned that you're going to go um, to speak at a customer experience um, conference down in Miami in May. What other inspirations to, I guess, to a couple or to tag along Bess's question is what other areas or, or comp whether it's companies or industries have you really been inspired by recently? So I like Hyperloop. Mm. Mm. I really like yeah. the guy there. Um, I I actually sent him a swag of JetBlue and he sent me socks of Hyperloop. So I play squash with my Hyperloop squash uh, <laughs> shoes That's and amazing. socks. <laughs> so he doesn't even know that. I probably should tell him. But anyways, um, I really like what they do there. Um, yeah. I like the stretch and the impossibility of, of, you know, when when they started, probably people said that's not possible. Um, and I think that's what inspires me, is people that when they're told this is impossible, think how to engineer it and, and what to overcome to make it happen. Uh, so I think... I think this is these are the people that get us to the next level in life. Well, yeah, so. I mean it's the SpaceX's of the world. It's the the bullet train and mm. from Osaka originally to Tokyo that changed the entire economy for Japan. Yeah, and I for me Hyperloop also. Um, you know, when I first came to to New York, I remember having very long commutes on the subway. Right, I started in a very distant neighborhood. I had to travel a long time and I always remember transportation being something that allowed me to to actually work because if you had to pay cabs and you're not really you don't have money uh, it would be really impossible to get to work especially if the work is late hours and I think with Hyperloop the economic and social impact of what Hyperloop could could make on on the world is so so impactful in places like India or like places that are so polluted uh, and and if you actually really make this happen um, the, the 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 side effects you know the downfall effects of, of this type of innovations are really quality of life as well and I like these are the things that really inspire inspire me it's not technology for the sake of technology it's technology going back to the humanity and and what people experiences are at a human level not just at a consumer level. Now, this this wasn't always your professional path. And, you know, it, it seems like when I meet um, experienced designers, it's almost something that they've innately had, right? It's a curiosity. It's a focus on the details of what they're going through, a way to verbalize that and, and understand it in a more macro sense of out, almost like an outer body looking in. 
you started your career with JetBlue in as like almost a financial analyst side of things. And JetBlue has, uh, you know, and and it's just, I mean, this is a, not only is this a wild departure from that, you went there to marketing to, to, to design. I mean, to me, first of all, that brava to JetBlue. I have a couple friends, close friends that have been working there for a decade plus. And the way that they support and encourage and promote within is, is, it's tremendous. But this is very unique. Um, because not only are you, you know, from this conversation, of course, I, I mean, not only are you sitting in that seat of design, you're you're well revered in these design environments, well outside of the company. How did this? How did this happen? Hmm. Yeah, how did this happen? <laughs> <laughs> so I. It's funny, I for my interview for customer experience, now currently our CFO was on the committee of many interviewers. I won't go into how many, but many. Um, and one of the things he said was that he really was, um, I'm one of the few people he's met who he has seen made a transition from finance to marketing. And this is the literally the two sides of the brain. Um, he was very impressed that I uh, flexed in and that uh, that didn't impact my performance. It mm. wasn't like, oh, she's that person, not this type of person. Uh, I think what I liked about uh, design and customer experience design, and I think where it makes more mathematical sense than people think, is the logic. So everything is logic. Engineering is logic. So at the base of customer experience is process and process is math. So the baseline really stayed the same. And with the marketing world, the way I flexed in was, and, and Bess was there at the time, it wasn't, hey, come and design our Instagram posts. It was, hey, tell me how to be strategic about my Instagram posts. Now, strategy is, again, more on the other side of the brain. It's not really the creative side, it's the business side. To build a strategy, you need to know where the company is, where the competitors, all of these are more on the other side of the brain. So what I was able to do is, again, going back to these innovation connections, is just make the connections and say, oh, this is what I'm doing, this is what you're doing, what I'm doing connects to you that way. And I was able then to look at all of the channels of marketing Think social, think advertising, think uh, regional marketing with the activations and say, okay, so you guys are my my tools. I am the strategy. So now as a conductor, I'll just coordinate. So to me, it became not really a creative job. It became a strategy job of of orchestrating. And that's what I'm good at. I'm good at the big picture and at seeing the connections and making them work. So, so this is why this, to me, is so intriguing. How the hell did this happen? Like, how <laughs> did you go from financial analyst? Now, I understand how your brain works and, and why you're doing what you do. But how – tell me about your JetBlue journey that ended you up here. How did you get these opportunities to actually ah, say that okay. I can do this? Uh, that's more simple. That's just hard work. 
<laughs> did you say did that hey i want to be in marketing you? now and i think i yeah, can do it and yeah. they're like all right cool yeah, yeah let's do it yeah and then when you're in marketing you're like oh i could do something better than this yeah. like i think i should design for experience yeah. and they're like all right yeah cool yeah and i make presentations to prove that point and Yo, i go and present to everybody you. that's listening from any other airlines <laughs> like take notice <laughs> of this learn from this or any other company to, to tell you the truth uh, hiring i mean Promoting and, and enabling and, and encouraging within is so much stronger. And I've noticed with, at JetBlue versus other places I've worked, the open door policy there is real. Mm-hmm. It is they want mm-hmm. to hear from people who like maybe you're an analyst and you're entry level. The CFO wants to hear from you and mm-hmm. they they are interested in hearing different perspectives. So it is easy to get visibility. If you're mm-hmm. someone who is passionate about the brand and does want to grow, you can kind of raise your hand and and have a voice um, if you're passionate and you work hard. You know, I know that the, the family, it's still privately owned, right? And they have made a concerted effort uh, from the beginning to make it feel like a family and to make it feel like a, a small company. And of course, it's everything but a small company uh, from both of your chairs. Um, does it still feel that way in some uh, aspects or um, like where, where is it now in terms of that culture? Who goes first? <laughs> <laughs> first, first I just want to make sure we're on the same page. It is a public company. It's oh public yes. They were, they were bought. Uh, sorry. Yeah. Sorry. How long ago was that? Mm. 2005? Yeah. Was it really? Yeah. It's okay. When they needed to flex and they needed a little more money to scale at one point. It was very early on, actually. Um, See, this feel... Life is about timing, right? It's also... You can't preserve everything with with scale. You can't. No matter how much you try, um, it's really hard. So when I joined seven years ago... And what the feel is today, there there are some things that are different. I do think so, though, that the there are enough leaders that have been there many years that at the leadership level, we keep the foundational logic there of I'm going to give you an opportunity. So if you look at my team, I have somebody from the in-flight group. I have somebody from airports. I have somebody from the system operations group. There is no person that I've said, oh... I I don't have a list of previous requirements that need to be fulfilled to come. I just yeah. want to meet you and see what what best was saying that you care for the company, that you care for the customer. It's kind of like a different lens of of how we would promote from within. So I think this keeps staying. But are you gonna do as big of a project as I did in two thousand fifteen? I I don't necessarily think that that access will always be there just because with scale comes operational risk. So you do need that system of rules and, and procedures in order to be able to sustain the growth. Yeah, and I can speak to that. I know I, I'm a host and not a guest, but this is a, a subject a close to my, yeah. Close yeah, to my heart. Um that's why I was really excited to move over the JetBlue Ventures side because we are a spinoff of JetBlue. And so we have that really scrappy kind of startup-y feel that I think that JetBlue had, you know, because we are a startup. We were an airline startup when we were first founded. 
Um, and that's why I think it's brilliant that JetBlue even created JetBlue Ventures as a way to tap into the innovation ecosystem and be able to be nimble and be able to be ahead of a uh, ahead of the curve and have a seat at the table at, at, of innovation, um, but still have all the weight of a Fortune 500 company. I have a question for you. <laughs> you know, in the short term, you said that JetBlue is is uh, you know bags is like a challenge that it's an immediate challenge, and as you're um, uh, putting more investment into these ventures and looking at innovative solutions, what is that really long-term future for JetBlue look like? The, the, the access to, you know, you're saying that maybe even airports and airlines won't be that. How is JetBlue, um, from even a design perspective, setting itself up so it's stationed in innovation? I, I wouldn't say that stationary innovation is necessarily the end goal. I think innovation is the way, the how you do something. Mm. Um, a, an end goal to me of a viable business is to be relevant to your future customer um, and to the business ecosystem as it is growing fast and evolving fast. And innovation is... And where the venture arm comes is how we, A, are prepared to know what it is ahead of time, early enough to to fit in that new world. Um, and innovation is the way to build that new product or brand or who you are, a version of you, so just how we grow. That's how you know, a brand should grow to be relevant. Um, we know what happened with Toys R Us. I mean, there are things that are foundational to business that need to happen. And the the end goal and what we strive to be is a company that you would want to interact with us in 15 years and your kids would want to interact with us in 15 years. And if we get that, I think... So, so I, under, I yeah. like, you know, the, the foundational... Um, requirement of keeping in touch with innovation and, and leveraging those levers, such as what you mentioned with Toys R Us, is of course apparent. But what struck me about what you said is the alignment in the interest of your future customer. So um, in retail, what we see is, you know, there are brands that have paid a concerned attention to innovation and making sure that that is part of their DNA and in their product development um, not because it was a necessity for the company and its longevity, but it was really to um, align with the curiosities of what people are interested in. So if people are interested in innovation, then you're speaking the same language. So, you know, you look at a, you know, a, a Kate Spade or, um, you know, a coach or Rebecca Minkoff or uh, Under Armour and Adidas. And like these are companies or to me even that are just relevant in the eyes of their customer, their future customers, and that's why they're going to win. So when you look at the airlines industry, which is not necessarily known to be, oh, I'm super innovative um, in terms of the processes and the experience, to to have that as your culture and have that as something that like you're carrying as well or exuding, I think that's it's really important in terms of defensibility. Like I, 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 there is no doubt that myself and and most people that. Um, I speak with, if there is an option to take JetBlue, I'm taking that over another provider 
if that route is not available, I'm slightly disappointed. I'm not just saying this because you guys are in the room. <laughs> this is the truth, right? So, and it doesn't come with, look, I mean, it's. Are you going to pay more? For ten dollars, it or? depends. Well, yeah, ten. That's of course, the, that's well, the million it, dollar. Question. But that's the million Excuse dollar the question. Pun. That's it is. Of course, it is. And and yes, the answer is, is yes. When you say ten dollars in a heartbeat, uh, when you say even a hundred dollars, it's a decision. Yeah. Uh, on the round trip, not one yeah. way. Um, and I think that that's kind of the tipping point okay. on an economy like yep. ticket is probably like a hundred dollars, hundred twenty ish is where I'm like. We should, should check his customer ID and see. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Really did. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I, we had a, a director of a brand, actually, one of my favorite um, JetBlue leaders back in the day that used to say that JetBlue is the most loved brand that not many people fly. Um, <laughs> so I don't know. That's you know? amazing. Some, some days yeah. I'm thinking that too yeah <laughs> so many people love us but somehow you know well i mean look when you talk about the business traveler side i don't it, like there's a lot of old relationships that you guys yep. are fighting against right exactly. this is not a this is a legacy thing yep. a lot of times and you know you are missing out on the corporate side to some capacity yeah and that's I, a lot yeah. of travel it's a fact it's funny now being with JetBlue ventures and being in san francisco a lot of the time <laughs> i hear you know the second I say work with JetBlue, I love JetBlue is yeah. the first thing I hear. The second thing I hear is, unfortunately, <laughs> I'm chained to United. And yeah. uh, and that's yeah. it, the perfect illustration yep. mm -hmm. of people love us. But gosh, that is an uphill battle, battle sure. against yeah. that just years and years of legacy points mm -hmm. that people have accrued. I, yeah. I do feel, though, like with the, the changing of the generations, um, there is an opportunity here, especially as I'm hearing data about, um, you know, younger sectors of millennials and then going into to Gen Z are are not using credit cards. Now, credit is attached to points in a very unique way that drives a lot to, you know, whether it's United American or whatever it is. Whereas, like, if that friction, if that decision's gone and you're not amassing points that can be distributed, however, to those relationships, if once that's gone, that's really interesting. Um, that changes things also. What, what are they using? If not credit cards? Debit now. Debit. Yeah. No, they, they just don't use credit cards there's That's a I mean, yeah there's a huge i mean and it's and it's changing in a dramatic well let's think about think about your own behaviors my mm -hmm. own behaviors i have a business credit card i do not have a per i don't use my personal credit card i have one I do not use it. I use really? my debit. I use Venmo. I use any sort of that's attached to my debit. I use PayPal. Yeah. But there's more security risks than use using your debit, you know. Yes. There's significant <laughs> security risks. I also really. think it's interesting, too, because with, you know, Apple Pay and mm -hmm. e-payment, yeah. a lot of the cachet in credit cards have, has gone away. You know, you used to have that, like, Amex fancy card, whatever yeah. the case may be. And everyone's and, like, whatever. And, and now when it's just private and you just swipe your phone, there's no cachet there. I mean, I'll say I'll still give props to Chase Reserve, though. Yeah, <laughs> this is not stuff. sponsored content. <laughs> but I'm just saying. Uh, yeah. My wife uses credit cards. <laughs> well, as a household, we still got them. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I think it's a good time to um, uh, take a break. And when we get back, we'll get to know Liana a little bit more on Off the Beaten Path.
entrepreneurista, a woman who organizes and operates a business, taking on greater than normal financial risks in order to do so. One who has a drive, passion, and vision with an undying determination to succeed. She is fiercely motivated, ambitious, and competitive, forging her own path to independence and success. That's an entrepreneurista. Through the conversations on the Entrepreneurista podcast, we want to celebrate failures, reflect on successes, and get unfiltered about what it takes to be your own boss. This is the Entrepreneurista podcast presented by Socialfly. It's the best business meeting you'll ever have with must-hear real-life looks at how leading women in business are getting it done and what it takes to build and grow a successful company. It's beyond the gram with no filters, no limits, and plenty of surprises. Check out all our latest episodes at entrepreneurstapodcast.com. And this is Off the Beaten Path, where we're going to get to know Leanna a little bit more, uh, thanks to the help of our trusty airport personnel. Best Chapman, please report to gate 53B. And that's you, Bess. So, Liliana, I know you're you're Bulgarian. How has that kind of affected the way you view your work and seeing like the American ecosystem versus what you grew up at, grew up with? <laughs> um, being Bulgarian is has defined who I am, and still probably defines who I am and how I see the world, uh, we have, um, I, I won't use names, but we have a, an amazing leader in JetBlue who uh, last month, maybe it was six months ago, <laughs> had a meeting with me and said, you know, some days I look at you, we're in a room, and I'm like, what is she thinking? She's probably thinking these people are worried about such stuff that are not life or death. Mm. And here I am from Bulgaria. I went through so much in life and all of this is just so not important on the scale of life. Mm. And I, I got goosebumps because I never knew that he actually sees me through the, the work uh, persona that I have. And it's, it's not to undermine where we work and what we do. Um, but I think when you come from a country that, you know, I was I was very lucky to see the communism regime in its its heart. Um, but then I was also unlucky enough to go through hyperinflation, through periods of complete um, state collapse, um, through periods of some kind of mafia type of phase in in my adolescence through now a good economy and European Union being part of the European Union, there is such a rich environment that I, and experiences that I've had in on a on a much more of a, a life basic level that looking at the American ecosystem, not that i'm I'm at all undermining the challenges of United States of America, but I have a different scale. so if if I meet people that are born here and that have, lived all their lives here, um, they, they kind of, if, if you think of the spectrum of what could be, there are things that they don't think are possible, right? And and that you have lived through, and we don't talk about it, nobody talks about it. But I think what that allows me is the risk-taking. 
So when you kind of earlier said that I'm a legend or, or I don't remember <laughs> what you said, but it, I think it's the risk taking. I, mm. And I, I'm learning more and more in my career that that's the, the little unique and mm. successful element. But you cannot get that because somebody taught you that. It's it's something that comes from experience and from understanding that if you build a technology that doesn't work, nobody will die. Uh, you haven't destroyed anybody's life. It is a experience that was bad. That's fine. But that allows me to be like, yeah, you know, something is half done. Like I was telling you that I wait. I don't really wait that much for four months. You can't wait for it to be completely built, right? So it's it's more of that calculated risk that you take. And being Bulgarian... I've realized in retrospect is really what gives me that gutsiness to say something. I don't know what other words to use to really take the risk and maybe be a little more risky than other people would be. Attention, passenger John Matson, report to gate 22. Oh, that's me. Thanks, airport personnel. <laughs> um, Whoa, creepy laugh, John. Oh, man. I like it. Go. Was it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's just a laugh. <laughs> it's just the mustache. It's just makes the mustache. it seem so it much more mustache. maniacal. You're right. Mm-hmm. You're right. It probably <laughs> doesn't come off the same when you're listening to it in your ears. Yeah. Fair. He's <laughs> really grilling me today, man. Um, so who is somebody that truly inspires you and why? You would think that's an easy question. Um... Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln, um, to me, is a person that carried a lot of weight as a leader, um, was born earlier than his time, um, and was able to single-handedly move a whole country to a next level of existence um and it didn't seem like he had many people that really understood him so the strength of his mind um character was something that i just i'm at all because it's really lonely to be the only one and it's really scary to really be committed to what you think and know that despite the fact that nobody else believes it, you know that's the right thing and and you will carry the weight of all those people and, and trust that one day they will understand you. Um, I don't even know if he lived to be understood or no, um, but if I could choose one person to talk to today, it would be him and just ask him how how where did he find the source for his strength because... Um, even if you look at his partner, she wasn't really the strongest person. So, you know, sometimes in history, you're like, oh, you know, the wife was there. Mm, didn't seem like that was the case with him. So he was truly alone. And that that really is amazing. Wow. I don't know if you've seen the movie, actually. Yeah. That does. So that scene of, you know, he saying that something was signed that wasn't signed at the very end, where they said, is it signed? That was the document that if he had said it's not signed, nothing would have happened. He took that risk on his own to just lie for a little bit, just for a period of time. 
<laughs> but that this by itself is just so heavy and yeah. so he inspires me i don't know if maybe you wanted somebody today but no you know today tomorrow yesterday these are all the tools again toolboxes but what is um survives through life through time and what is the unique thing of human Humanity is the human mind, and that's what I admire. Because if you put that human mind in any type of history moment, um, they'll figure out the rest very easily. Your attention, please, passenger Pavan Ball. Please come to the information counter. That's you, Pavan. I'm I'm curious. You're a very intuitive person, and you uh, you take risks based on, um, I guess, calculated risks. I could say. Um, from something you feel very passionate about and you often do that quickly. I won't mm-hmm. say impulsive because some people have a negative connotation to impulsive, which I don't, but um, when in your life, whether as a kid or any moment that you could really reflect on, that's, that's vivid where you had an in- intuition that you did not act on and you regret that. Ha. Huh. Never. Nice. Okay. Now, I'm going to let you stay that. Now, the flip side. Then when have you had an intuition that you did go through and it had a meaningful impact on the rest of your life? Personally, not professionally. Um, Coming to America. That's an easy one for me. Um, Actually, no, I'm lying. It wasn't coming to America because I came. Coming to America was easy because I was in love with somebody and that's how I got here because he convinced me. What the intuition was, it was more coming to study and really making the decision to immigrate by myself. Um, It was probably one of the hardest things I've ever done because when I got back home, after the initial trip with that guy, I was sure I want to come to study. Um, but the kind of that's why I like the Hyperloop guy. My family said that's never going to happen because everybody who is going to the States is coming from an affluent family that can support them financially. And you don't come from one of those. So you will not succeed. You will not be able to do this because you can't you don't have the financial backing of the family. So you're going to have to do everything by yourself. And I said, it's okay, I'll do it. And they said, no, you will fail. So the intuition was that by coming for the first time for a kind of like a student exchange program just to work for the summer, I met people similar to what you were saying about JetBlue. To me, some even, by the way, I worked in a casino, just to level set here where I was. <laughs> um, we can talk about this at some other podcast. Wait, wait, no, wait, let's get into this. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I met, I still managed to meet people that had that thing that JetBlue has huh. that was very different mindset from the Bulgarian mindset that said, if you apply yourself, if you work hard, you will, the system works. So if you work hard, you will get to the next level. So although in Bulgaria, even my own family was like, this is not mm-hmm. going to happen. I knew that the intuition was, no, with hard work, it will, because mm-hmm. the American system is not based on nepotism. It's not based on who is your father. It's based on hard work. There is a true currency of hard work, and I know I'm a hard worker. So um, that changed my whole life. Mm-hmm. Um, it was probably the hardest thing. I remember my mother 
And I'm somehow glad she's not going to hear that. But at the door, when I, the day of the flight, I was leaving my house and she said, you will never have a home again. You're making the choice to never have a home again. To hear that when you're 21, 22 is not the easiest thing because you're not young enough to deflate it and say she doesn't know what she's talking about. You're kind of old enough to be like, damn, she's my mom. She probably, she probably is right. Um, but then I'm about to get a plane. So, you know, I guess that's what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. I want to have a home. And it's kind of interesting because now um, I kind of know what she means. Um, I go to Europe, I'm at home. I'm here, I'm at home. So now lately I've told her I actually have two homes. So it's not that I don't have a home. It's that true citizen of the world that I started with that mm -hmm. um, this intuition move allowed me to achieve uh, that I would have never achieved if I had stayed in Bulgaria. Thank you. Sure. Well, well thank you again for coming and speaking with us today. Sure. Thank um, you for having there, me. Yeah. Is there any kind of final thought that you'd like to share? Maybe something, a reflection on our conversation today or your experiences? I would say um, going through life, I see that all of us, although we're grownups, we're, we are all little kids that, that have self-esteem doubts. And I would tell to everybody who's listening, um, you're all rock stars. So whatever you want to do, just go do it. Um, don't procrastinate. Don't think about it. You can do it, whatever it is. Terrific. And how can um, someone get in touch with you or your work with JetBlue? Sure. Um, well, I'm on LinkedIn like all of us. Um, very active on LinkedIn. Um, I like it because now everybody's on LinkedIn. So it became the Facebook for for, for sure. work. And uh, mm -hmm. it's just so much more fun than five even even five years ago. But I'm also very passionate about the blog I'm writing with uh, another a colleague, she works for Verizon. And, and what's the blog called? Come, it is called Doing CX Right. Very intuitive. <laughs> <laughs> Very humble. Mm -hmm. um, so you guys can find us on doingcxright.com. We try to publish a couple of times a week. Um, and we just talk about everything CX. Awesome. Well, thank you again. Thank you, guys. Yeah, for my co-host, Bess Chapman. Thanks, everyone. And pop and ball. Shake it easy. I'm your host, John Madsen. Bon voyage. This has been Travel Is Your Business. To suggest guests or content for the show, or to become a sponsor, email us at podcast at travelisyourbusiness.com. Keep up with the show on social media at Travel Biz Show. That's Travel B-I-Z Show. Episodes available on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, along with our website, travelisyourbusiness.com. Copyright 2018. All rights reserved. No portion of the episode may be distributed or published without the express written permission of the producers. Thanks for listening. This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle.